Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. There is a challenge currently facing UGA. It has been well documented. We all know that it's a potential obstacle towards the kind of success that Georgia had in 2021. Replicating that success in the future in large measures is going to be determined by how you address this, this issue. But like a lot of things in life, within obstacles, there are also opportunities. And I want to talk about that here just for a minute. That one of the things that Georgia has to do this season, and it's starting right now at the beginning of spring practice, is address a lot of turnover within their coaching ranks. That Dan Lanning, the defensive coordinator, has left to go become Oregon head coach. And you, know, you lose your defensive backs coach. And your offensive line coach decided to step away from coaching. And wide receiver coach went back to his home state of Louisiana. So when you are out at Georgia practice field and watching the spring practice unfold, theoretically speaking anyway, what you see are a lot of new faces on this coaching staff, guys who were somewhere else a year ago, guys that were a part of a different uh, coaching culture, and now they are trying to step in and adapt to the current Georgia coaching culture, the challenges that come from coaching at a place like UGA where the expectations are so high, and a coach like Kirby Smart, who we have all seen in some form or fashion, the way in which his engine is always revving, really running in the red you know, on the practice field, on the sidelines during games, and even during the offseason when it comes to recruiting, things like that. Kirby Smart is just this boundless level of energy, and so working for Kirby, you might assume, is not necessarily the easiest thing thing to do and obviously George's not the only program that deals with these kinds of things Kirby's old stomping grounds Alabama this has been the kind of thing that Nick Saban's dealt with for a really a long time where when you're a program that's had that much success you do lose key assistants heck at one point in time Nick Saban lost a key assistant named Kirby Smart who went on to become Georgia head coach and the same thing still happens here in 2020 2021 2022 for a guy like Nick Saban in Alabama but one of the things that makes the Bama situation a little bit different than Georgia's is that Nick Saban's been coached there since 2007. That's a long time to establish the the culture that you want permeating through your program. All of a sudden, Georgia's kind of had Kirby Smart here for a little while too, but still 2016 is almost a full decade later than when Saban first got established at Alabama. So you would imagine that the roots of culture just run a little deeper in Tuscaloosa because Nick Saban's been there just a good bit longer. So from that standpoint, here's a coach in Kirby Smart, still pretty young, still relatively early in his Georgia tenure, getting over the hump of winning a national championship. But as national champions often have, you've got a lot of coaches poached off your staff. Now they're working somewhere else. Obviously, these guys have personal ambitions. They want to be upwardly mobile, and their upward mobility, in some cases, has taken them into other jobs. So when Georgia started spring practice here this week, that was one of the first questions that Kirby Smart was asked. What about all these new coaches? What was it like trying to uh, go out and hire a new cornerbacks coach, a new outside linebackers coach, new offensive line coach, new wide receivers coach, although that's a name that we're pretty familiar with. What was it like hiring all these guys? I guess a couple of those assistants were guys we were familiar with, but still four new assistant coaches uh, on the field for Georgia right now. And Smart kind of addressed, as we said before, the challenges that go along with all of that. This was Kirby Smart going back to Tuesday. No, we went through an interview process uh, at every position. I mean, interviewed multiple people at each and every position, 
think about what's the best overall for our program, for our culture we've built here, uh, take input from the coaches on the staff that have been here a long time, uh, Dale McGee, uh, Glenn Schumann, these guys have been part of our program, Trey Scott. They are the culture, and we want people that want to be here and want to be part of that. It's very demanding um, what's required of college coaches, and I think you've seen uh, a lot of guys move on to the NFL. You've seen guys step out. You've seen uh, guys go into other places, but it's not going to ever change at the University of Georgia. The standard of excellence that you want to have in recruiting and spending time with your players, and these four people meet those criteria. They're also uh, people I trust, and some I've known, some I've not known, um, but the ones that we didn't know, we did a lot of research on and felt like they were best for the job. So I think that's a really good answer from Kirby Smart, and I think this is something that Smart is actually really good at, and it's almost an underrated aspect of his coaching personality, if you will, that Smart has made a lot of really good assistant coaching hires. Now, you can point to one or two that may have not worked out for, in some cases, different reasons, but competency is not measured by perfection because nobody's ever going to be perfect. Competency is measured by the ability to repeat success over and over. And Smart, I think, when it comes to hiring coaches, has shown a repeated ability to go out and find pretty good ones. But when you ask a question like this in, in a spring practice kickoff press conference, obviously the unspoken subtext to the question is that there's always a risk when you bring in new blood. There's always a chance the coach that you bring in is not as successful as other coaches who've been here before, and you could see a little bit of program regression because of that. That's just a risk that you take on anytime you bring in new people, especially when you, in some cases, have to identify guys that don't have the kind of resume that make them a sure thing. You're kind of making a bet on how you feel like your ability to vibe with them and how that's going to connect on your staff. There's at least a little bit of risk there, and I think that's true. However, while some people may view these new coaches as an obstacle towards the kind of success Georgia wants to enjoy, I think you also have to view it as an opportunity there as well. Because here is also what's happening or has the potential to happen when you go out and hire one of these young coaches who you don't really know anything about, whether it's Yusuf Deribe at a outside linebacker or Fran Bannock cornerback or even guys that are a little bit more established older guys that, that are still new to your Georgia right now, like Brian McClendon or Stacey Searles or, or, or whatever else that I think you have a chance to not only hire someone who fills the role and does the job, but I think you have a chance every now and then, and maybe this is partially luck, or maybe this is partially just the ability to truly identify a unique set of skills that the rest of the coaching industry didn't notice. But I think you have a chance to identify a rising star as well. And, and suddenly what was an obstacle of, oh gosh, we have all these new coaches to fill, uh, turns into the opportunity of, oh gosh, there are four new assistants on this roster of coaches. Some of these guys are brand new, total unknowns. Maybe we do have another Trey Scott. I mean, think about Scott for a moment. When Scott was hired as Georgia defensive line coach, he was hired away from Ole Miss, but he never really coached Ole Miss. He'd been at North Carolina, and nobody knew anything about him. And when you're the young guy with very little track record and you're stepping into a you know place like Georgia where, let's face it, at one point in time, Georgia had a little bit of a drought for defensive line, not really putting great defensive line in the NFL and not really collecting those elite recruits. And that's the role that Scott first stepped into. Our buddy Terrence Edwards, who will be with us a little bit later on, has talked about this before, is that Scott was kind of the scapegoat for a lot of things with some Georgia fans when he first stepped on campus. But lo and behold, over the course of time, you find out, my gosh, you know this, this is more than just a capable assistant coach. This is seemingly a big-time rising star, and the ability to go out and hire a guy like this has actually made Georgia better than it otherwise would have been. 
You didn't just hire an assistant who could maintain. You hired an assistant who could propel, propel you to even more success than you otherwise would have. If you don't believe me, just listen to the things that are being said about Trey Scott, even just this week. Let's go back to Pro Day, which obviously happened yesterday in Athens. Uh, Devontae Wyatt was speaking, and Wyatt was speaking kind of on behalf of all the Georgia defensive linemen, like Jordan Davis and Trayvon Walker, all those guys who are on the way to, to making such a name for themselves when it comes to their future in the NFL and, and and why it made no bones but the fact that he really credits a lot of his personal success for his time working with Trey Scott and believes that's also true of other defensive linemen too. Now let me give you a little bit of a warning about this. Some of the audio from Pro Day, it's a indoor facility, there's a lot going on. This is not perfect audio quality, but I still want to want to play it for you as proof that Wyatt actually said it. And so we'll do some interpreting after it's over or interpreting interpreting after it's over. This is Devontae Wyatt from yesterday. You did an amazing job. You asked me for the three guys and the guys in the room right now, the guys we had in the past. But he did, like, definitely like a father figure. He's he, he been a coach when he needed to be. He's been a dad when he needed to be. He's been a mentor when he needed to be. And he's the, he's the guy you can depend on. He's the guy you can call. Like, even, like, if you're going through something, you can call him, call, call Coach Scott. He'll definitely give, he'll make you laugh or give you great advice. If you're a Georgia fan, are you glad to have Trey Scott on your coaching roster? When Devontae Wyatt says he's done an amazing job, he's a coach when he needs to be, he's a uh, father when he needs to be, he's a mentor when he needs to be, he'll make you laugh, he'll push you to get better. Like all of that stuff that Devontae Wyatt is saying about Trey Scott is exactly what you hope a player would say about his position coach. But when Kirby Smart hired Trey Scott, listen, even if Kirby knew that he was a capable coach, I don't think any human would have any way of knowing that his future players would praise him to that degree. That's the kind of thing that, in certain respects, you do just kind of stumble into a little bit. That when you have a chance to hire a new coach, there's a chance, yes, maybe he doesn't quite work out. But there's also a chance that he's way better than you could ever even imagine. I think the person of Trey Scott, you almost kind of have to say that's true a little bit. In fact, to echo this even more, Kirby Smart yesterday, we just heard from Devontae Wyatt, Smart saying at Pro Day that for Devontae in particular, maybe the influence of Trey Scott probably shines in him maybe more so than it could with with, with anybody else. Once again, more praise for Trey Scott and more of a reminder of what could be possible for the current crop of new Georgia assistants. This uh, Kirby again from yesterday. I think Trey Scott's done, nobody gives Trey Scott enough credit for the work he's done, not only with all of them, but really Devontae. Because Devontae has come the furthest from a natural stand, uh, talent standpoint. I mean, this guy decided to stay an extra year, you know, and he didn't have to do that. And it's paid off for him in terms of maturity and moving up the draft. So, and you heard Kirby there said nobody gives Trace got enough credit for the work that he's done, in particular with Devontae Wyatt, because Wyatt in particular may be the guy that's grown the most while being at UGA. So, listen, pretty simple takeaways on all this. First of all, if we've ever been guilty of not giving Trey Scott enough credit, that stops right now. And I don't actually think for most of us around here that's necessarily been true. We've been praising Trey Scott, uh, you know, for quite a, a long time. Pretty clearly, he was a huge influence on this current crop of Georgia defensive linemen on their way to the NFL. And the story of Trey Scott and the way in which he has influenced those players reminds of a few things. First of all, patience truly is a virtue. For new coaches that step into new roles, giving them a chance to grow into that role probably makes a a little bit of sense. And for the natural anxiety that's produced when coaches that you came to love and respect move on, while it's only natural to assume that it could be worse now that they're no longer here, there are also opportunities for a new star to emerge and a new name to, to blossom and for another Trey Scott to be present on this current crop of 
Georgia coaches that we haven't maybe fully considered that sometimes that's actually the fun part of bringing in new blood they bring in a new level of energy and you find out wow we truly have captured a rising star Georgia did that once with Trey Scott and they may do that again with a whole bunch of new assistants here for 2022 as well my name's Brandon Adams and this is Dog Nation Daily the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans presented by Meriwether and Tharp Hello to you, and thanks for being with us, no matter how you get to us today. 9.45 on video for our first in 15, dognation.com, the Dog Nation app. 10 a.m., all the video platforms, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. I think that's all of them. Uh, We're on all of those, if not more. Uh, Podcasts, all the platforms there as well, Apple, Spotify, everything else. Posting the show each and every day at the worldfamousdognation.com. It is just a really, really fun thing to be able to make this show so widely available for so many of you, and I could not do it. Couldn't sit in the studio, speaking to this microphone, looking to these cameras, and enjoy everything I get a chance to enjoy, if not for our friends at Merriweather and Tharp. Because, listen, we know Bob Tharp and the whole team over there, they are big dog fans. They love supporting UGA. They love supporting us here at Dog Nation Daily, and that truly is something I am grateful for. And here's the thing there as well. I know what they can also do for so many of the folks in our audience. I know what they have done for people in our audience. I'm talking about stepping up to support people in a time of need, people who may be going through the divorce process. That's what Mary Weathertharp is all about. They are your source for Georgia divorce. What that means is is they know every imaginable, you know, dot and tittle of everything associated with the law here in the state of Georgia when it comes to your divorce situation. And unfortunately for some of you, you have a divorce situation. I wish you didn't. You wish you didn't. But we can't wish some things away in life. They are just sort of there and they are present. And confronting that reality, I think, is an important step for you. But confronting it alone, I think, would be a huge mistake. Confront it with someone who understands the process and it can explain to you how the law can be leveraged to your benefit. That is what you want from my friends at Meriwether and Tharp. And you can start this very easily. Just simply go to their website, theatlantadivorceteam.com. That's theatlantadivorceteam.com. Play around the website. Look at all the free resources they have. Set up that free initial consultation. Ask a lot of questions and let them give you answers. Tell them your story. Sometimes it's just kind of nice to have someone to tell your story to. Tell them your story. And after that, we can talk about, they can talk about all the ways in which they can help you and set you up for a really enjoyable next season of life. So that's what uh, my friends at Meriwether and Tharp are all about. They're the Atlanta Divorce Team. Uh, you can find them online, the theatlantadivorceteam.com. That's the theatlantadivorceteam.com. Meriwether and Tharp is your source for Georgia divorce. Okay, so we're going to get Terrence Edwards here in a moment, a Marlowe's Tavern Insider update coming up with him. That's always a great thing to do. Before that, though, I do want to go around the doghouse here for a moment. I want to let you hear something else from Georgia Pro Day. And once again, this is one of those pieces of audio that's, you know, you got a lot of people speaking at once. You got all kinds of noise coming around. You go to the Dog Nation YouTube page, you can watch all these for yourself. Sometimes translating that audio from what's on our YouTube page to the, to the show, you lose a little bit. But you're going to hear George Pickens yesterday speaking, and he was asked, and this is a similar answer to what he gave at the NFL scouting combine going back a couple of weeks ago. But he was asked by a reporter, hey, now that you're moving on for Georgia, who do you think the next big receiver could be for, for UGA? And listen, obviously players like to praise other players, and that's kind of to be expected. I can go back into every pro day we've ever had. I guess there wasn't one last year, but you know, every pro day we've basically ever had and or at least there wasn't a 
whatever. Uh, you know, things are more normal now than they were in like say 2019. But you want to go back to the previous pro days. There's always going to be Georgia players praising Georgia players. It's just kind of a very common narrative that comes out of pro day. So I'm not asking you to take what George Pickens says here seriously because he says it because players just say this kind of thing. I want you to listen to how quickly he has his answer ready. This is what matters to me. It's not so much what he says. It's the lack of hesitation with which he says it. You'll hear the reporter ask the question. You'll hear hear, uh, Pickens give his answer about who he thinks the next great Georgia wide receiver could be. I find this to be pretty interesting. This is Pickens from yesterday. Leaving that legacy behind, who do you think could be the next guy behind the 80? I was already. And it's not even just like he already got. It's like some stuff you can't coach. And that's like, that's really part of it. He got the skills. He got the so admittedly that is not great audio quality it's probably even worse than i than i realized but the player that pickens is talking about there is ad mitchell and once again if you really listen to it carefully and i know it's a little bit hard to hear but if you really listen to it carefully reporter asked the question of hey now that you're gone who's kind of next behind you and it's boom it's ad mitchell and the phrase that pickens used there and i hope you did hear this part is he's got some things that you just can't coach and then he goes on talking about the route running and things like that but pickens has a very clear answer at the ready for who the next guy is at uga and he actually finishes the the quote there by saying i'm just glad he got to see me some basically to learn from me how i go about my business um as a way of kind of you know the next step in his own career and now listen i, I take that part pretty seriously too because i've said before um if you gave me 11 george pickens i'll go out there and and uh and, and fight you any day of the week because that's truly what pickens always been about with his georgia career that pickens also kind of has a thing you can't coach and that's just a absolute competitive fire and listen we all know this sometimes that means that he's you know uh giving you a great block or or chasing down a football he's got no business catching sometimes that means he's three seconds after the whistle slamming a guy to the turf like i mean you know it kind of works out both ways i i certainly acknowledge that but i'd rather you know get a fired up guy calmed down than try to get fire out out of a guy who probably walks around a little too calm i mean if, if you had to just you know, pick one or the other, that's probably my my choice there. That if you could give some of the fire that George Pickens plays the game with to other UJ receivers, if they could learn that from him and embody that, what they saw from him, I think that's a really good thing. And as we get closer now to the 2022 season, in spring practice, it's very easy to remember that a year ago, these were also the kinds of things that we were hearing about A.D. Mitchell. And it's less of a surprise to hear Pickens saying this now but it was a pretty big surprise last season when there were these rumors and whispers about, oh, you know who looks pretty good uh, in spring practice? Adonai Mitchell. He looks like a pretty good guy. And that was really a recruit. I mean, if I have to be completely candid, I didn't think much about Mitchell when he first signed at UGA. But but right when he began his Georgia career, spring practice a year ago, he was already making you know a pretty big name for himself. And obviously – you know, seeing him targeted so much on G-Day a year ago was cool. Seeing him catch the go-ahead touchdown in the fourth quarter of the national championship game was even cooler than that. And now George Pickens says, we think he's going to pick up in 2022 where he left off at the end of 2021. If a guy like Pickens is saying that, I, I do take that pretty seriously. And it brings me back to something I've said quite a bit here, is that for a Georgia offense that I believe took a huge stride in 2021 from where it was in 2020, which had taken a big stride from where it had been in 2019, the obvious next question to ask is, well, what is the next stride for Georgia offensively? What could it do this upcoming season to be even better? 
And to me, it's always been simple. And when I can put things in simple language, that's what I try to do. To me, it's as simple as this. If you can find one receiver who takes a big step forward of a large multitude of receivers who could be that guy, if you truly can't identify the one that is that guy, pairing him with Brock Bowers. I told Mike Griffith yesterday, I don't know there were but maybe two receivers in the entire SEC who are better than Bowers a year ago, even though we technically think of him as a tight end. So think of Bowers as your prime pass-catching target, regardless of position. If you can find one more guy to stand next to him and have a season similar to him, similar to what he did a year ago, similar to what he's got in store for you this season, then that's the step forward you need right there. That's how a great offense from Georgia a year ago, top five in offensive efficiency, could be even better this season, identifying somebody to be that guy. Now, George Pickens says it's A.D. Mitchell, and who am I to argue with him on that? So interesting stuff when it comes to Georgia and the wide receiver position. Obviously, that's my thoughts. You hear George Pickens' thoughts there as well. But here on a Thursday on our program, we have a chance to hear from someone who's even more educated, certainly on this topic, than I am, a great former receiver in his own right, record setter at the University of Georgia. He is our insider. It is Terrence Edwards. We call this a Marlowe's Tavern insider update so on everything as spring practice begins for the dogs let's talk to terrence edwards right now as i said it's a marlo's tavern insider update from athens and across the sec or wherever the recruiting trail may lead here's a dognation.com insider so i'll bring in terrence edwards on this topic and terrence i'm curious what you think uh you know, yet we just played the audio of George Pickens yesterday, asked about, okay, who's the next great receiver of Georgia? Obviously, you know, Pickens, when he was healthy, boy, nobody questions his talent and his ability. And now he's gone. And, man, he didn't hesitate at all to mention A.D. Mitchell. This was a guy a year ago that we were hearing praise for him during the spring. I have to admit, it was a little bit of a surprise to me. I, you know, I just didn't, uh, I didn't know much about Mitchell coming out of high school. I knew who he was, obviously, but didn't, I just didn't spend much time considering what he could be at Georgia. Early whispers was he was practicing really well. He was targeted a ton on G Day, and he went on to have an amazing freshman season, including a historic touchdown against Alabama to close out a national championship game. So, what do you think now of the fact that George Pickens says there's even more in store for AD this upcoming season? I'm not surprised, and I'm going to toot my own horn a little bit because uh, if you remember, uh, I was one of the first ones to tweet out and talk about AD you after were. I saw him in person. You were. I love his film, and uh, once I saw him in person, and uh, Jeff retweeted the uh, article him and I did. It was like I compared him to Justin Jefferson, but just the way he moves and how twitchy he is. and uh, So I saw a lot back then, so this is not surprising to me. Um, yes, he had some freshman jitters I think uh but as a sophomore now as now it's the best receiver on the team in my team um he's just going to take his play up tremendously so I'm very very excited about uh what AD has to bring and his uh trajectory as a wide receiver I sky's the limit he is very very talented all right let me ask you about this then because you mentioned Justin Jefferson which is a very interesting comparison but it also works out this way is that we know Mitchell was not, you know, by typical Georgia standards, an elite recruit, but Justin Jefferson for LSU kind of wasn't either. And Chris Olave for Ohio State kind of wasn't either. I don't have research to back this up, so maybe it's not as true as I think that it is, but it feels like at the wide receiver position, we do see the non-four, five-star recruit oftentimes going to have great success. It's happened at Oklahoma. That's a program that's really cultivated wide receivers, and they've had some very you know, for lack of a better phrase, lowly rated recruits that have gone on to have great success. That somehow, some way, receivers either slip through the cracks when it comes to the evaluation process, 
or blossom much more robustly than some people uh, assume they're going to be able to when a guy like Mitchell turns out to be better than his recruiting ranking or Justin Jefferson or Chris Olave like what what do you think's behind that Terrence it's a lot of factors uh do you hit the camp circuit uh that's that's one thing uh your location uh are you playing in, in an area like Gwinnett are you playing in the area now uh in the daytime like an area like Washington County where you don't get a lot of eyes on you um, if you remember a, a, a guy a few years ago from our high school, A.J. Gray, yeah. that went on to play at Tech, he was a Georgia, he was the Gatorade player of the year. His sister just won a gold medal with three-on-three for us in the Olympics. But he's a three-star. Why? Because he wasn't very known, but he was a one of the best high school football players I've seen that year coming out. So I also think location and do you do the camp circuit um, is one. So there's a lot of factors. I don't know if – AD really did the camp circuit. I know he kind of, kind of gray shirted and didn't play his senior year, um, or the year after whatever his situation was. So there's yeah. a lot of reasons, but you could find receivers. I mean, Justin Jefferson was a two star. Nobody knew about him. And I think I don't know this for certain, but I think the only reason LSU took him because his brother was the quarterback. How about that? So I, I, there's a lot of reasons. You do not have to get a four or five star to have a successful team. Yes, we would like to have, and, and Alabama have shown to get those high five stars and all of them came to be uh, great college players. But you don't have to get You find players that fit your system, and that's what Clemson does. Clemson doesn't always get the highest-rated kids at wide receiver, but they find receivers that fit their system. And uh, I think you find the guys that fit your system. You have a coach that develops, and I'm going to give Coach Hankton a lot, a lot of praise because people – you know, spoke about him in a negative light, but you cannot say he didn't develop the talent that he brought here and what Kirby brought here. So you find a, a coach that could develop talent and you find talent that fits your program. You have a successful program. I think that's right. And I think the word system is so important there because, listen, I mean, unfortunately, if you're in a deficient system, I don't care how talented you are. I mean, we know in football, talent is the name of the game. I'm not saying it's not. But you can take an ultra-talented wide receiver, but if he's in a deficient system, one that's not going to be designed to help him get open, one that's not going to be designed to take attention off of him, then you can bottle up a guy. We just see that happen in college football from time to time. However, if you're in a system that works, and obviously the LSU system clearly worked for Jefferson and you know the Ohio State system has worked for wide receivers for a long time, that it also gives a chance to kind of grow into an even bigger role that, that some of this for me when it comes to the passing game, and obviously you know this so much better than I do, but some of this for me is, hey, if you're in a system that works, a lot of guys have a chance to, to really thrive, and you don't have to necessarily be that that elite former recruit if you're in a system that works. If it's got the pre-snap motion, if it's got the creative wrinkles that, that I'm not smart enough to draw, but if you've got those things in your offense, there's a lot of room for a lot of guys to, to exceed their expectation, is there not? Oh, most, most definitely. Uh, systems, you know, a lot of times bring out the best in, uh, in players. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm for one that Georgia has a system that these recruit knows this is the way we're going to play offensive football. And, uh, if you want to come here, win, be in a pro style offense, um, be ready to go in the NFL and run NFL type route. Uh, you might not be, it might, it's not going to look like Ohio State or Alabama, but we're going to get eyes on you. And that's what George Pickett, you know, has had. He didn't have the best. I still think talent-wise, he's the second-best receiver in Georgia history, right behind A.J. Mm-hmm. I put myself third. Sure. Uh, so uh, you don't have to, to go in and get 1,000-yard receiving yards to be 
Tyler as one of the best receivers in college football or for draft potential. Um, just find schools that fit, find a coach that develops, and you'll be fine. So you gave us a great update on Eric Gilbert last week, and a lot of what you said has turned out to be true. He is back practicing with Georgia. Kirby Smart also gave us a positive update on that this week too i think you know the reaction i got from your interview with us last week was a lot of folks were very happy to hear you say hey let's you know just take it slow let's give him a chance to work his way back let's not rush this i think the response i got from georgia fans was that is the right way to approach this i mean clearly there's a lot of excitement because of how talented he can be uh and how talented he is but giving him a chance to just have some space here and you know one of the things that kirby talked about in particular was that extra pressure that comes when that label is attached to you. We all know it's it's the five-star label and, you know, uh, you know big Atlanta area school, five-star type guy. Uh, of course, that comes a lot of attention. And it was very interesting to me, Terrence, to hear Kirby be so candid about that on Tuesday, about how that just puts a lot of pressure on a lot of guys. And now it seems like Gilbert has the gift of just being a football player. We're a long way removed from his signing. You know, the notion of the former five-star label doesn't really seem all that relevant now that we're a few years away from this. And based on what you've said in the past, based on what Kirby maybe said this week, it certainly seems like he's enjoying the idea of just being one of the 85 guys on the roster and not Eric Gilbert, the the five-star. Is that kind of the sense you get from all of this? I think so. And it's funny that if you know Eric, I've been around Eric. He's not a guy that likes the spotlight a lot. You know, he, he likes to go under the radar. He don't talk very much. So I can remember when he was coming out and people was calling him a, a, a drummer king and all this. Like, it was, it was just fun to me because he like, you do not know this guy because he shies away from the attention. He just want to be one of the guys. He want to go out there and play football. And, and I must say that, you know, he's getting back into football shape. He's getting back into the groove of things. But, I'm most proud of that he's got academic student on the week twice since he's yeah. been back. So that's one thing that I'm proud of, that he's getting back into the swing of just being a college athlete, being a student, being a young man, just trying to figure out life. And, and if football comes that way, I mean, that's what he loves to do. But I'm just happy that he's back um, in his element, being a student athlete, being a student and, and doing well in the classroom. No, I think that's all uh, really true, and I think that's all really well said there as well. I want to talk to Terrence more about another topic we got into a little earlier here, which are some of the new coaches on staff for UGA and their chance to really step up as stars, much the same way a guy like Trey Scott has. We'll do that here coming up in a moment with Terrence Edwards. First, though, let me remind you that this is our Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update with Terrence Edwards right now, and you have a chance to yourself become an insider, a Marlowe's Tavern Insider. Listen, there's a lot of great incentives associated when you do that. Just go to marlowstavern.com. That's the website to go to to sign up, marlowstavern.com. And just for signing up, you're going to get a signing bonus out of this. How about $10 off, $30, uh, your purchase there at Marlowe's, just for signing up. Then after that, uh, you can dine at any Marlowe's Tavern, and when you spend at least $15 on food and beverage, you're going to earn what's called a qualified visit. And then once you complete four of those qualified visits, you're going to get a, com- uh, a complimentary entree reward up to $20 on your next visit. So you you get great savings and incentives just for doing what you're already doing, which is enjoying the great food and drink there at Marlowe's Tavern. Now, you can uh, redeem that uh, entree gift at any of the taverns, including the one right there in your uh, neighborhood. You even get special offers on your birthday there as well. There's no cost for this. It's just free to join uh, to become a member of the Marlowe's Tavern Insider Club. So go to marlowstavern.com for more details on that. That's marlowstavern.com. So, Terry, 
Terrence, off the top of the program, we talked about this a little bit today, that while four new assistant coaches, it's a little bit of a challenge for UGA, to me it also looks like an opportunity too because, and you've tweeted about this in the last you know week or so, I think we even talked about this some last week, that really nobody knew much about Trey Scott when he was hired here. And for a while, when a young coach steps in, it's almost like he becomes the scapegoat for whatever may be wrong with the uh, program. And maybe Scott suffered some of that for a while. What Kirby said about him yesterday at Pro Day, what Devontae Wyatt said about him at Pro Day, what folks are noticing about him, that all these former players of his are going on to great riches in the NFL, that he's really become a rising star in the coaching ranks, and that's great for him. But when I look at, you know, Yuzo Deribe, the new outside linebackers coach, or Fran Brown, the new cornerbacks coach, these are also guys I don't really know much about either. And the chances of one of them being the next Trey Scott's at least a possibility. And Terrence, I guess what I'm saying is I can't help but think about that as these relative unknowns start their Georgia career, seeing how quickly another former relative unknown is now quickly becoming a pretty big household name. Uh, most definitely. Uh, I don't know too much about, you know, the, the two hires, especially on de- defensively. Um, and I get down and, and form my own opinion, just like I did Coach Scott when I first saw him. And I knew then that he was a rising star, just the way he's his energy, the way he interacted with his players, the way the players fought for him. And yes, early on, we, we had some recruiting miss that <laughs> turns out to be not so big of a bust, uh, not so I want to get down and see what these two guys bring, two new guys. Uh, and I think Coach, Coach uh, Kirby is, is, is do, does his due diligence and finds coaches that fit the Georgia program. And uh, I, I, I think these guys are going to be the same. I, I, I believe in Kirby. I believe in he, he see coaches, especially younger rising coaches. I mean, look at this, Dan, Lan- Dan Lannon, and we didn't know much about him as well. So look at him now. So, uh, I have faith in, in those hires, and now I just want to get down and speak for myself with my own two eyes. Well, let me ask you this, and we'll finish our, our conversation with this. You're also a coach yourself, both on the individual level, but at the high school level there as well, at a, at a very big program. And one of the things that was said about Scott in particular was, hey, he knows how to strike the right balance. Sometimes you're like the father figure slash mentor. Sometimes you're the coach who's challenging players to be better. And it seems like the very best at the college level, at the high school level, kind of find out a way to do, you know, to do both. And I think that's probably a pretty challenging thing. And maybe you as a coach have kind of experienced this yourself of when is it time to be the kind of loving father figure? And when is it time to be the the coach who maybe pushes a guy to, to give a little more than maybe right now he wants to give? How do you try to strike the right balance of, of that as a coach yourself? You have to learn your players. Uh, just like your kids, they're all different. They learn differently. They act differently, even though they're all in the same house, getting taught the same way. You just have to learn your players. I mean, I, I just had a incident recently at a training session where a kid just wasn't right. And I was on him, and I was on him, and I finally just asked him, you know, what was wrong. And he just told me, and then I just knew in just to let him finish the workout okay. and let him get through whatever he, he was going through. But he, he needed to be there because he was going through something. Mm-hmm. So you, you have to find the right balance to just to know when to lay off at times. You can't always be just that super hard on a guy you do want the best from him but there's times where you just back off and let him get to what he get to and let him you know kind of tell you but you all you know your kids and you know when it's time to be hard and you know when it's time to just back off and, and be whatever he needs to be a father a friend a hard coach you know all good coaches know when it when it's time to be whatever that player needs you to be 
Uh, we remind folks all the time, Terrence Edwards, wide receiver academy. You're doing great work with those individual players, doing a lot of stuff there on the north side, Fulton County now these days. Remind folks how they can uh, get in touch with you if they want to be a part of that. Uh, you can get in touch with me on my all social media platforms at Terrence Edwards, wide receiver academy. And I, I was on the phone with my brother right before we started, and he told me to mention his name. So I'm going to mention Robert's name, the new head coach at our high school down in Washington County. And uh, any running backs out there, that's looking to get trained. He's also training uh, later in the week and on the weekend. Um, and you, who wouldn't love to get trained by Robert Edwards as a running back? So if you looking to get trained as a running back, hit Robert Edwards up on all his social media platforms as well. I know that's right. Never a bad time to mention Robert Edwards' name here on a show like this. Obviously, another one of those great Edwards brothers who did so many great things there at UGA. Terrence, that's great stuff. Thank you for being here as part of our Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update. Thank you. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. I've said it before. I've said it a million times. And I'll just say this because uh, of obviously our relationship with the family. But I'll put the Robert Edwards uh, legacy at George as one of the most underrated players that's come through that program. I think that for younger folks who maybe have learned less about him than they otherwise would because he did suffer an awful injury right after a terrific rookie season. First round pick of the New England Patriots. Great rookie season very serious injury in the offseason after that rookie campaign and the football career never really the same again after that uh you got to go back and see the highlights man it, it is you know south carolina 95 george had a great chance to win on the road at tennessee in 95 had he not been injured there back at a time in which winning at tennessee was a very big deal florida 97 auburn 96 there's some terrific terrific games that had robert edwards stamp all over them and so uh i'd invite you to go back and check those out if you uh if, if you're not really aware because they are fun highlights to watch for a player who's very good at georgia then one more thing that terrence said and we're gonna uh to move on here we'll do cruiser on the sec um i think that terrence brings up a really good point this is kind of off the subject a little bit but i think it's worth mentioning that terrence said hey at one point in time people criticized eric gilbert being a little bit of a drama king and we said this at the time that that was unfair and and for the same reason that Terrence did there too. And my, my point here is not to defend Gilbert because this point in time he doesn't need defending on this anymore. But I think it's important to think about this going forward. That if you're trying to judge which players may be trying to cultivate drama, here's the thing you've got to try to judge on this. Are they the ones doing the talking or are people doing the talking about them? And in Gilbert's case, when he was considering transferring from LSU and going to Florida and then you know going to Georgia... Like, Gilbert wasn't doing any of that talk. And this is where I think, you know, in in fairness to Gilbert, but also in fairness to the next players in the same situation, that it is a thing from time to time that there are potential transfers and potential recruits. They do like the drama. They do like the attention. And who's to say if I wasn't in the same position, maybe I might try to cultivate that too of all kinds of teases and hints on social media and all kinds of, you know, things that are designed to simply draw clout in, in, in my direction. If I was that kind of athlete, maybe I might do that. But in the case of Gilbert, the conversation was always something happening around him, about him. It was never emanating from him. And I think when you talk about recruiting drama, you have to try to decide, is it being enhanced and elevated because of what people around the player are saying, or is it being elevated by the player himself? And if it's not the player doing the talking, if it's people around the player doing the talking about him, I don't think you can really blame the player for that. So that's just kind of a simple aside, but I think probably worth mentioning there for a moment cruiser on the sec now courtesy of royal caribbean by the way you got your chance to be cruising here with us dog nation and royal caribbean coming up uh in the month of april that means the time is now to act 
to get this uh, done, to get set up to be on board with us. We're going to be on Independence of the Seas. This is a beautiful ship from Royal Caribbean. There are so many fun things to do on board, whether it be the onboard entertainment. I, I told you this, when I was on a cruise uh, a few weeks ago, I was on Harmony of the Seas from Royal Caribbean. And one night, you know, we kind of walked around. And I counted as we were just walking through the ship, you know, just kind of getting the lay of the land a little bit. I listened to live music in five different places occurring simultaneously on the ship. That's like the world's best pub crawl, right? But it's happening like right there in the ship. And it's all different kinds of music. It's like the Latin music that you hear at Boleros or uh, I, I know on like the brand new ship, they uh, they just uh, sent out to see there's like a country theme bar there. It's got a country uh, a group. There's like a j- uh, jazz uh, bar. There's, you know, traditional rock music. There's kind of everything else you want. Dance music, karaoke. It's all out there. And it's just really amazing all the different entertainment options that are on board, especially restaurants like Chops Grill or Azumi, which is kind of a, uh, a teppanyaki style. Uh, 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 what do you call it? Uh, hibachi. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, type thing there. Uh, so many fun specialty restaurants and great stuff so many uh complimentary food offerings like sorrento's pizza where you like <laughs> you know i tell you 2 a.m how many times you grab a little sorrento's pizza or something along those lines it's just really really fun and it's going to be really fun to be on board with all of you very first ever cruise with the dog nation so please make sure you check it out uh dognation.com right there at the top of the page click the link that gets you in you can also go to dognationcruise.com if you kind of want to sidestep that but it's like one click at the top of the page at dognation.com to get in learn about NASA on the Bahamas, Perfect Day, Coco Cay, On Board, Independence of the Seas, Royal Caribbean, us at Dog Nation. We're getting it done. Big thanks to our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority who've helped us out with all of that. Now, with that said, let's go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean here for a brief minute. And I just kind of want to do this. I, I do love the NCAA tournament. I am not as plugged into this as I have been in the past. In fact, I'm supposed to have already filled out my bracket, and I have it, and I'm quickly running out of time on that. But I do want to give you just a little bit of a scene setter for the start of the day today, kind of a couple of things that jump out at me in, in terms of how that's going to play out. First of all, 245 Eastern today, you get Tennessee playing against Longwood. I believe this is Longwood's first trip to the NCAA tournament against a Tennessee team that's a three seed that's a little bit mad about that. They won the NCAA, they, they won the SEC tournament. They were hoping for a better seed because of that. Now, in the long run, if, if seeding holds, there's not a huge difference between being a two-seed and a three-seed. That's essentially just the color of uniform you wear in that game. But but there are a lot of Tennessee folks who thought maybe it should be a one-seed, just given the fact they won a league like the SEC that was as tough as it was this year. So we will see if the Vols play with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder today. Uh, Gonzaga, who has probably, if I had to guess, the most popular pick to cut down the nets here this year, highest scoring team in the country. They take on the local team, Georgia State. So a little bit of an interesting look at Rob Lanier's club against uh, Gonzaga. Uh, Gonzaga, you know, they've just been doing this now for a while and get a chance to go over that hunt win the national championship using a big offense to do it. We'll see how the local team battles against all of that. Uh, I'm also watching Kentucky a little bit in this tournament because this is a very different Kentucky team than we're used to seeing. You know, this is not really the kind of the one-and-done type Kentucky team of the past. This is a little bit more of an experienced Kentucky team. I think they're shooting the three a little bit better this year than maybe they have in the past. So a little bit of a look for me at Kentucky, although a very tough potential second-round matchup against the two uh, very good mid-major teams. A lot of times what you'll see the committee do is, at least there's a conspiracy theory out there that this is what they do. You take the really good mid-majors, you pair them together, and then you put the winner of that game against a tough blue blood in the next round because clearly CBS and the powers that be – 
would love for bigger teams to advance, even though we kind of fixate on the underdogs. CBS kind of likes the other side of that because they like the uh, bigger matchups. So you take uh, a team like San Francisco, a team like Murray State, kind of like, I guess this is John Morant versus Bill Russell, sort of, so to speak. Uh, that's a pretty tough potential second-round matchup there uh, for Kentucky. And then I guess the last thing I'll give you, uh, another SEC team that I kind of like is Arkansas, but there's a little bit of love out there for the possibility uh, of Vermont upset, maybe bringing the point spread into play on this. A little bit of love for the Catamounts right now, playing a little closer to home, a little bit of uh, an impressive schedule. Of course, Vermont at one point in time was led to the NCAA tournament many years ago by Tom Brennan, former UGA grad, so I guess that'll bring it back to a UGA but a little bit of love for Vermont out there right now against Arkansas. However, I've liked Ar- I have liked Arkansas a lot during the season. But nonetheless, we will make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. By the way, speaking of upsets in the NCAA tournament, your chance to make some real headway here I and mean, be a big winner based on what you know about these upsets. We're calling this fuel for an upset with our friends at Kroger. Now, the reason why it's called fuel for an upset is because right now fuel is on the top of mind for everybody. What can you do to save a little money on fuel? How can you make it a little easier for yourself at the tank? That's what Kroger's all about. A lot of you are already getting your fuel at Kroger anyway. And this is the thing to do right now because you get those fuel uh, points. You get those extra rewards, the money you spend at Kroger helping you save money there at the pump. And that is what matters right now. It's a big deal. So, Kroger the place to go for all of that, but also Dog Nation and Kroger the place to go right now for fuel for an upset. Now, here's how fuel for an upset works. When you send your email to info at dognation.com, if you're watching on video, you see this on the screen. If not, I'll make sure I say this again, and I'll try to speak slowly as I say it. Info at dognation.com. Just simply give us your information and give us your upset pick for today. So the game's being played first round on Thursday Give us your upset pick. Now, the definition here of an upset is very simple. It's just simply a worse seed beating a better seed. So if a 9 beats an 8, that's an upset. If a 16 beats a 1, that's an upset. 14 beats a 3, that's an upset. You know, commonly we've seen we've seen a decent number of 14s beat 3s. We've seen 12s beat 5s almost each and every year. That would be an upset. So pick your upset. And of all the folks who have correct upset picks, we're going to draw a winner from that. You're going to get $200 worth of gift cards from our friends at Kroger, including a $100 Kroger gift card, a $50 REI gift card, and a $50 Home Depot gift card. So you have a chance to be a big winner, and we're going to do this not just once, we're doing this four times. So we're going to do that for the games being played today. We'll do an upset pick for the games being played tomorrow, that's Friday, and then we'll do the same thing again next Thursday, next Friday, the kickoff to the second weekend. So today, tomorrow, next Thursday, next Friday, we're going to have a fuel for an upset winner each and every day. So get your pick in for today, and if you're not the winner on this one, then just turn right back around and do the same thing again tomorrow. you got another chance there tomorrow. It's $200 worth of gift cards from our friends at Kroger, 100 bucks from Kroger, $50 to REI, $50 to Home Depot. Simply send your upset pick in for today, info at dognation.com, and then we'll roll through. We'll do this again tomorrow. Big thanks to Kroger for making that possible, and big thanks for Kroger helping us save some money on fuel there at the pump. They're doing a good job on all of that. All right. All of that said, Let's get back to Georgia football here for a moment. And on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. So a lot of attention, and understandably so, was paid to the injury to Darnell Washington that Kirby Smart talked about when he kicked off spring practice on Tuesday. And I get that. Darnell's a guy I'm very excited about seeing there as well. And it's certainly a disappointing situation to know that an injury set back that really harmed Washington's development in 2021, that you've got a presumably different injury I don't, I don't know uh that's now threatening a little bit of him here in 2022 that's obviously not the news you want to hear 
However, I believe that the most important injury story ongoing for Georgia right now may be involving Tate Ratledge. Uh, Ratledge, who a year ago was clearly one of Georgia's five best offensive linemen during the spring and was supposed to be that guy during the season, but yet right there at the very beginning of the year, uh, suffers an injury that took him off the field, Liz Frank situation. And I've told you now a couple of times that when I think about where Georgia can be better this year than it was in its national championship year, I do look at offensive line. I look at how that propels the running game and somehow this Georgia offense that throws the ball better now than it ever has in the Kirby Smart tenure, pairing that with a running game that reminds you a little bit more about what this team was doing in 2017, 2018. I think offensive line is a big key to that. And the best version of offensive line for Georgia this year, I believe, obviously involves the presence of Ratledge. And so the stuff that Kirby said about Tate and a couple of other guys from the injury situation on Tuesday really got my attention. So listen to this maybe more positive than not when it comes to Kirby and what I describe as maybe Georgia's most significant injury story right now. This is Kirby. Yeah, they're all running, moving, doing things. Arian's been able to take some reps. Arian will be practicing with us some, not 100%, but he'll be able to practice with us. Tate's coming off the uh, the foot injury. He's not going to be able to take reps in the spring, but he's weight-bearing, he's running, he's doing some activity there uh, and able to take walk-through reps. So I kind of take him in a different mode of he's not out for the entire spring. He's just not going to get to go live with us. But the progress has been great for both those guys. And then Tresman is doing some running, some cutting. He's got a knee brace on. He'll be able to take some reps, but not uh, 100%. So you root for Tresman Marshall, first of all, the linebacker. It just seems like throughout his Georgia career, and Ryan Davis kind of the same way, they just dealt with a lot of injuries. I'd love to see those guys get healthy and show what they're all about because high school players, man, they were both uh, really good. You've heard me talk before about my sort of fatuation, infatuation a bit with Arian Smith. I'm hoping to hear him healthy there too. Nice to hear Kirby uh, providing that update. But right there in the middle of all that, the story involving Tate Ratledge. I just think this is a very big deal for George. And as I said before, not being a medical expert, not always knowing how to correctly interpret medical evaluations, to me, I take that as pretty good news. We know that Liz Frank injury type thing can be the kind of thing that lingers. So if he's putting weight on it, if he's running, then even if he's not taking those reps during the spring, it certainly sounds like there's no hesitation in assuming he might be able to be a lot more ready to do that come summer rolling into the start of the season. As I said before, this is a very simple elementary point, but better to be injured going into spring than get injured during spring. And in the case of Ratledge, maybe that's the kind of example here that he's not quite ready to participate, but he's on his way to being able to participate. So for a guy who I think is probably one of George's best five, if he's truly healthy, maybe we're taking big steps towards him actually being truly healthy before it's all said and done. Hey, uh, speaking of healthy, how about a healthy uh, taste for you from our friends at the Finish Long Drink? You're getting ready to watch some basketball here over the course of the next few days. Nice beverage goes great with that, and the Finish Long Drink is what I think about when I think about nice beverages because it's so easy to enjoy. It's a ready-to-drink cocktail, and you say, B.A., what is that? Well, it comes in a can, so a lot of folks might think it's a beer, but it's not a beer. As I said before, it's a ready-to-drink cocktail. You like mixed drinks? You like, uh, you know, <laughs> to quote... <laughs> The great American, you like gin and juice? Well, this is kind of what that tastes like. It's like a little bit of a citrus flavor, a gin kick. That's the blue can. That's what it's all about. But you also got the cranberry flavor there as well. A lot of folks love that. A lot of the folks in my neighborhood love that. When they come over to the house, they know they're going to be enjoying some long drink cranberry. And that's that's made us very popular in our little cul-de-sac here. Uh, long drink strong, 8.5% alcohol by volume. I know some of y'all like that. Long drink zero, no carbs, no sugar. That's always kind of a cool thing there as well. You can even pick up one of those eight can variety packs, which is 
two different cans of each of the four long drink varieties. That's really uh, pretty amazing stuff there too. So check it out, thelongdrink.com. Just let me put in your zip code, find out where it is near you. Bars, restaurants, beverage stores. Uh, I see a lot of golf courses, and that's always kind of a fun thing. Listen, that makes a, a good golf round even better to be able to enjoy some finished long drinks. So wherever you're going, you could probably find it near you, just thelongdrink.com. It's been in America now for a couple of years. It's in Georgia now. We're all enjoying it. Check out the finished long drink. So my Twitter mentions are mostly people arguing about the SEC. Like, uh, you know, <laughs> whether it be Auburn fans or mostly Florida fans or whatever else. And so some of the best stuff I see sometimes is something that like a Georgia fan has shared with me that they're also using to kind of like talk trash to another fan. And listen, that's all in good fun. We have a good time with all of that. And so uh, I think this is really clever. I, don't, I never quite know who makes this stuff, but I always assume it's the person who shares it. Uh, but this is actually really funny to me about Florida fans. Let me show you this on the screen. I'll describe this for those of you listening to radio podcast. So Florida, obviously six and seven a year ago. So our buddy Second Nature, uh, I guess we're going to call that DZN on Twitter, has taken the 76ers logo and changed it to the six and seveners. <laughs> With instead of the stars going around the seven for the six, 76ers, got the L's going around there. This is just really funny. Like people are so creative. And that is really well done. Uh, I, I see memes all the time that just make me die laughing. And this one is a uh, very funny one there. So congratulations to Second Nature. You're a golden shoe winner today. By the way, speaking of those lousy, stinking Gators, we think they have more losses coming their way. And it's been a long time since they've won a national championship. About 4,816 days. Boy, that's tough. And a Gator Hater countdown losing to Georgia again 226 days from right now. That is our Gator Hater countdown. Y'all have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily presented by Merriweather and Tharp. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. One story that I did not mention during the show today, but I had a lot of folks kind of reach out to me about, uh, including Daniel Jones on Twitter. Obviously, the very, very scary and, and terrible circumstances involving uh, Kill Crumpton, uh, former dog obviously going to be charged with murder stemming from uh, an incident in Oconee County, I guess, what, uh, was it last March? Um, just, I mean, just very, very scary. Um very scary. So I don't know, man. I, I don't quite know what to say about that. Hard to know what what goes on in somebody's life that, that leads in that direction. And just a scary, just a scary, very, very sad situation there. Crumpton was not a guy that I knew particularly well when he was on campus here. But I guess you just never know um, how some of this kind of stuff is going to play out. So a, a pretty rough situation there. Chip Towers had a pretty detailed report on that in the uh, Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Um, Mike Griffith, I know, had some of that on dognation.com for you there as well. Just a really, I mean, I really, you know, this is obviously an opinion show, and I just don't have much of an opinion on that other than that it's just terrible news. Uh, uh, terrible news and uh, a scary situation. And this is one of those things that for a lot of our audience that kind of lives in that kind of Watkinsville, Oconee County area, this was kind of a scary thing um, for the, for them because it's been an unsolved, you know, murder in their community. And so there's a part of this that's not even about the sports beat because obviously it's been a long time since Crumpton's been a football player. This is really more of a crime beat story in that um, this has been an unsolved type murder thing that has kind of rocked a community or at least had an impact on a community, a big impact. And I don't know. Uh, you just want to see justice served here. That's, I guess, the thing. And uh, we'll wait for you know all the facts to come out. But uh, troubling, 
troubling allegation here and troubling uh, situation. So, yeah, that was out there, and a lot of, a lot of you had mentioned that to me on Twitter, so I wanted to make sure I at least uh, mentioned that. On a much happier subject, and it's always awkward to kind of transition back to something uh, enjoyable after something like that. So a uh, Videl fan reached out to me on Twitter. We talked about this, I believe it was on video. I don't think we talked about this in the podcast. About Georgia basketball and Pete Maravich, when Maravich was at LSU, being so good in Athens one night that the Georgia students carried him off the court. And that's a story I've heard a lot in my lifetime. There had been a little bit of debate about whether it was true. That was one of those stories that's almost like, so good that you hope it's true or so good that you act like it's true, but you don't ever really want to know if it's true or not. Well, what Vidal fan says on Twitter is, is the NCAA career scoring leader Pete Maravich dribbled out the final minute of the second overtime with a Globetrotter-like exhibition capped by a 35-foot hook shot at the buzzer. Okay, so that's how this game ends. Uh, he and his Tiger teammates were then mobbed by UGA fans and the cheerleaders. It is true, uh, Vidal fan says. Uh, he says, I'm not sure there's any footage of it, but it is true. Yeah. I think there are a lot of things like that from that like you know certain era where there is no video of it whatsoever. Like one of the most prominent things to come to mind here is is that uh, Wilt Chamberlain's hundred point game. There's no video of that, and I have jokingly over the years, and this is uh, a, a joke, but I have jokingly said that I don't believe that it happened. I believe that it was. <laughs> Um, I, I, I've kind of joked about that, saying that it was you know something they just made up, but that's not really true. It it did happen, but there is no video of it. Like some of those really great moments where there just is very little video, and then you go back to realize how many of the great moments in sports that we do have some video of or some audio of, we only have by accident. Like I'm going to obviously date myself with this reference, but this is obviously even way older than I am. You know, like the great Bobby Thompson home run of the shot or heard around the world it was called. The Giants win the pennant, the game against the Dodgers. They won the extra day of the uh, of the baseball season. Um, like the only reason why that audio survived, the great call, the Giants win the pennant, Giants win the pennant, is because I guess one Dodger fan was recording this as a way of mocking his giant fan friend like it looked like the Dodgers are going to win he's got like a some sort of recording device up to the phone up to, up to the radio to record it uh, a very very obviously crude early era recording device but um, that audio got recorded that way and obviously turns into the to the person recording it the outcome they didn't expect to get you know the Bobby Thompson home run but that great moment in baseball history that's been like replayed millions and millions of times we only even have that by accident. So it's weird to think about sort of great moments in sports, including some of the stuff from Maravich that we don't have any video evidence of, but also other things that we kind of only have that evidence by accident. That is just a random happenstance that this even got kept because back then there just weren't the ability to keep and house all this stuff the way we can uh, do that a little bit more easily digitally. So I'm not really quite sure how we got on that, but pretty interesting nonetheless. Thanks for being here for our podcast, Cool Down. Big thanks to R.S. Andrews for making it possible. Hope you all have a great day, and we will see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp, and we'll look forward to speaking to you then.